This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. New guidance regarding online transaction authentication is soon expected to be released by the FFIEC. Highlighting financial institutions' needs to improve a number of authentication techniques, including device identification, log analysis, and layered security approaches. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Today we get some insight into the guidance from Ori Eisen, founder and chief information officer of 41st Parameter, which provides fraud detection and intervention solutions. Ori, much has been said about the updates that the FFIEC is expected to soon issue to its 2005 online authentication guidance. I'd like to just open up with a general question, and that is, what is your overall take on the drafted guidance? Do you see improvements, and are there any glaring omissions? Well, thank you, Tracy. There's clearly some improvements. This guidance is not as vague as the one that was presented in 2005. That is very good for everybody. Uh, some of the omissions perhaps would be that we are still talking about solutionizing as opposed to telling banks to find the MOs, the modus operandi, and find uh, additional solutions. What I mean by that is if one would only implement what is said today, we know for a fact that in the wild there's some MOs that will not be covered, such as the Zeus Trojan, for example. Now, a couple of new points raised in the drafted guidance relate to the need for financial institutions to do a better job of authenticating and identifying the devices from which consumers and commercial customers access their online bank accounts. Could you give us a little background, Ori, a little perspective, if you will, on this guidance and how banks and credit unions should interpret the FFIEC's new recommendation for device identification as well as log analysis? Yep. Clearly, device identification has played a key role in authenticating users, albeit the different methods of doing it have prevented some banks and some credit unions from getting the full potential of what this technology can do for them. Uh, The main two ways that that could be done is either by tagging devices, by the use of cookies, for example, and hoping that the good customer's device will keep that cookie and when they return to the bank, they will get recognized. Unfortunately, in today's day and age and the focus on privacy, uh, that is just not the case anymore. And a lot of good consumers are returning to the bank with devices that the cookies have been cleaned from, and hence they have a difficulty recognizing them. Uh, The other way of doing it is recognizing the devices in a way that does not leave any residue and does not require the browser to save anything, and that gives a much better chance of the device returning and being used. If you take this additional information I just described and plant it inside your logs, you can then do a lot of detection of different kinds of MOs. For example, account takeover detection, or if it's an imposter of a device that is trying to come to the bank, and so forth. I would be asked, I would suggest banks and credit unions look into the more complex way of doing device identification, embedding it in their logs, and then running risk rules and risk logic to identify what are the bad guys doing. And how do identification or device identification and log analysis fit together or complement one another? Fit together in the way that addition data that is gleaned from the device and logged can then be used later on to find fraud MOs. Let me give some examples. 
If you do not ask the device that is coming to log to the account what time zone is it configured in, you can't answer the question later, is the account, let's just say it is placed in Kentucky, for example, why is the time zone of the device in the middle of Russia? You see, banks who are not capable or do not have the technology to do that would not even know that it is not the real user behind. I'll give you another example. By adding this data into the logs, we can later on see that we have not only the real user's device pretending to come back, but we can see signals of an imposter. So all these signals would be very difficult to do without the additional technology and without putting it into the log and making some analysis on it. Now, Ori, I'd like to ask a question about mobile, and mobile was not specifically noted in the FFIEC drafted guidance that's been circulating throughout the industry. But how does mobile fit into the device identification fold? Um, you know, more institutions are rolling out mobile banking applications. Mobile will surely have an impact on how they launch and manage future fraud prevention and fraud detection measures. What are your thoughts? Again, one of the omissions is... Again, not going after MOs, which clearly would include the mobile channel. Everywhere we see that channel is growing, and more and more users are attempting to use their financial information for mobile devices. I believe that at this point it is beyond the category of just noise and something that may take off. I think it's something that will take off, and everybody who is managing risk for their institution has to take that into the account. There's also good news and bad news with mobile. The good news is it will increase reach into devices and probably people will have better chance of using their financial accounts. It will give banks more opportunities to target and get upsell opportunities because people will use the services more. The bad news is knowing how to react with mobile devices, how to authenticate them, is not like their bigger brother in platforms like Macs and PCs. And again, you have to know what you're doing in order to secure that channel. And Ori, from your perspective, why have regulators deemed current device identification measures to be a weak point? As we said before, there are two different types of device identification. <clears throat> Excuse me, one of them that marks the device and the other one that does not. I think it is proven by now that all the original ways that mark devices are not useful because crooks delete those cookies and those tags from their computers. And in addition, with the regulations and moving to privacy, browsers are doing it on their own, even for good users. So those technologies do not give the value that they should be. New type of technologies that are more complex in nature, and what I mean complex is not complex to integrate, but complex in how they run and their efficacy, they give better visibility to the bank of who is actually on the other end, and those technologies also include the mobile platform. Now, I'm going to go back to ask a little bit about some of these one-time cookies that the industry has historically used. According to the December draft of this guidance that, of course, is circulated, so-called simple device identification should be enhanced to include one-time cookies that offer a more complex digital fingerprint of a PC by looking at characteristics like PC configura configuration, Internet protocol address, and geolocation, which you've noted. How would you distinguish this more sophisticated device identification from the identification that many institutions continue to rely on today? There's a few ways to look at it. I'll give some examples. Most of the ways that simple cookies are used is by giving a unique number, if you may, 
to a user. So for example, you would be assigned the number one, two, three, four, five for your computer. That number still does not tell me, are you a PC, or are you Mac, or are you a smartphone? That number does not tell me if your time and time zone and language configuration are in concert with the information I have of you as my customer and so forth. So all the simple type of identification was trying to just identify a serial number or identify a unique number for the device. However, everything we do and goes beyond that into the complex world, if you may, allows for device intelligence and not just device identification. With the attack vectors that we see today, Tracy, it is extremely difficult to fight it just by having one-time cookie fingerprinting. It's almost impossible to do. That's a good point, and I wanted to ask about some of the recent breaches that we've seen. In light of these re recent breaches, what role should or do merchants play here when it comes to understanding and complying with the FFIEC's call for device identification? Great question. As you know, there's always a triad of the consumer, the bank who might be the issuer, and the merchant who might have an acquirer. And together they play a 3D game of everybody needs to authenticate themselves to one another. A merchant can absolutely help by implementing these technologies, again, in concert with what banks are trying to deploy, so they can realize that the very consumer that is right now on my website trying to buy with their card is the very same consumer who usually comes to the bank to check their balance. And what about merchants' understanding and compliance with the FFIEC guidance overall? Will they be expected to understand the guidance to better assist in the effort to curb ACH fraud? Unfortunately, I don't think so because the merchants are not governed by the FFIEC. I believe it would be a very good call to action to the industry to work together and recognize that instead of moving the fraud around, we will solve it as an industry. But to my knowledge, the FFIC does not have any jurisdiction or enforcement over merchants. And that kind of ties into my next question, Orion. Fraudsters have increasingly been hitting these smaller businesses with ACH and wire fraud since 2009. What does this trend tell us about the need for stronger authentication and the need for more collaboration between banks and merchants when it comes to the fight against fraud? So uh, in merchants, this type of a question could be uh, constructed two ways. I'll, I'll give you the answer to both. When the merchant is a web merchant, for example, the poster child will be Amazon.com. There's so much they can do, and those things will only work when credit cards are used. However, if the merchant is Amazon, right, and that is their banking relationship, and they're moving to ACH, they need to be more adept and more willing to do whatever their financial institutions are asking them to do. Again, good news, bad news is most of the technologies we've talked about so far do not require users to do anything different, remember anything, install anything. It all works overtly. However, as probably you move into the future, it will be more and more difficult to just detect fraud by simple means. We will need to have everybody in the equation involved in one way, shape, or form. And how much onus do you expect regulators to put on banks and credit unions to ensure that they are adequately educating their customers, whether they be consumers or commercial customers? I believe that is always going to be a good part of a strategy to curb fraud. However, I personally do not believe that that will put a big dent in the problem. Unfortunately, when you are trying to educate millions of consumers, we can't expect all of them to do the right thing. And we can't expect all of them to become security experts. Uh, the good example I usually use is my own mother, who's 
an internet user, I can't expect her to understand all the phishing terms and what a website looks like when it's fake or not. She just wants to use it and not be worried about using it. So I believe education is always good. I believe the regulator should ask for that, but we should also recognize there is a limit because today's attacks do not even try to ask the users to do anything. They're doing it with malware that is installed on their computer unbeknownst to them. Now, I'd like to ask a little bit about the implications of this FFIEC guidance and how it might impact credit unions and banks in different ways. Credit unions, of course, more often than not, um, have more consumer customers than they do commercial customers. And banks, of course, have more of a mix of commercial and consumer. How will that impact the role that credit unions, for instance, have to play when it comes to complying with the FFIEC guidance since most of it deals with commercial customer accounts? That's a great question. Uh, in general, we can absolutely make the segregation, and if you can go higher up even to treasury accounts, you'll see that most of the more sophisticated crooks will go after those because they usually have a higher balance. However, we must also recognize that the use of mules is something that the bad guys are using, and the mules do not have any distinction between going to a retail bank or a credit union. In other words, the attack could start at any one of the big financial institutions yet divert money into accounts in the credit union. And for that reason alone, the entire financial industry should be, in addition to be regulated, should work in concert to fight this. Otherwise, as I said before, we will keep moving the fraud around from one bank to another as opposed to moving it out of our financial system. And what about vendors, Ori? What role should vendors play in understanding and complying with the new FFIEC guidelines once they're issued? Should they be required to help banks and credit unions work to comply with the guidance? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I believe the roles of vendors has to be first to educate. I, I believe 41st parameter in our view is that the best consumers, right, if they're educated, they're the bank customers because they know what they're buying and what they're doing. So I do believe vendors have a big role in educating and making sure people know what is it that they're supposed to do. The other thing they can do is help strategize with their customers because the minute any financial institution just begins buying features and products without having a strategy, uh, it usually does not lead to a solution that is either long-lasting or actually checks the box. It is clearly easier said than done because most vendors, especially with sales forces, would like to make sure that they sell their product. I totally understand that. But in order to comply with the FFIC guidance, sometimes you need to sell something and then sometimes you just need to be the trusted advisor. Vendors who can absolutely help in this guidance should be able to both educate, help, and bring the solution quickly so the banks are in check when the examiners come to town. And before we close, Ori, what final thoughts would you like to leave our audience with, whether they relate to layered security, device identification, log analysis, or just an overall view of the drafted guidance? I would say this. We live in an environment today where word of mouth and reputation are things that travel very quickly. If you are a bank and you go to conferences or you have a few trusted advisors or a few risk managers that you usually consult with, talk to them you will note that the top banks already, without even this guidance, have found ways to integrate the very same technology we speak about, and I would have reason to believe that some of the regulators have consulted with them to recognize what should we 
dictate or what should we put in the guidance so others can learn from what you have done. I believe if any financial institution wants to follow in their footsteps and see how they protect themselves, which would include their strategy, how they build their fortification, and what vendors and technology they use, that would be a good way to start the journey of deciding, well, what is really a fit for me? What is a fit for my budget? What is a fit for my department? On a personal standpoint, perhaps, yet that it will match the guidance and allow me to go through my examination. Ori, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. Again, we've just heard from Ori Eisen, founder and chief innovation officer of 41st Parameter. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.